0: When we think of the future of leadership in sales, what, or rather who, do we see? Women in Sales Everywhere and SalesLoft have teamed up to answer this question. And let me assure you, there's no doubt that the future is female. I'm Sydney Sloan, Chief Marketing Officer at SalesLoft. And I'm Alex Adamson, Executive Director of Women in Sales Everywhere. We'll be sitting down with each outstanding female leader on our inaugural future female CROs list to discuss everything from their sales philosophies, to how they keep their lives organized, to how they unwind after a breakneck day. Together, we'll dig into exactly what makes each of these women so extraordinary. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of our future female CRO list. Today, we are chatting with Safi Roy, Director of Real Estate Operations at Better. Hi, Safi. Hi. How are you, Alex? Good. Yes. I'm so excited to chat with you today. You have one of my all-time favorite career stories. So to start us off, can you tell people listening a little bit about what you've been doing the last couple of years at Better? But I also want to get into life
1: before Better because you've had quite the run over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, I kind of got here by accident, which I feel like is probably a more common story than people think. I think a lot of people in positions um, of power actually end up getting there like just because somebody you know one person gave them the opportunity and they just you know hit the ground running so when I was first applying to Better I was actually applying to be you know Vishal who's the CEO of Better I was applying to be his executive assistant um, or chief of staff you know just somebody to help project manage whatever whatever he needed at the moment and before I even joined Better that's what I was doing I was an executive assistant slash chief of staff for a real estate billionaire in New York. And, um, he owned, you know, my, my former, uh, CEO owned like hundreds of real estate buildings, just businesses, commercial buildings, um, real estate, you know, all sorts of land, uh, $9 billion worth. So it was really wild. It was a totally wild experience. I did all sorts of project managing. He had multiple businesses as well. So I was doing a, a lot of everything and it was a really cool experience because at the time when I was you know, coming out of college, all I knew that I wanted to do was end up really like having my stake somewhere and like being able to be a part of something and like build something. That's all I knew. All I knew is that I wanted to go into any field. I was really open to industry, but I wanted to be a pivotal part of its growth and like learn as much as I could and help to lead, help to scale and help to build.
0: Let's unpack that a little more because I think there's so much tied into, you know, executive assistant role. Some people might not totally understand what that means sometimes. But the chief of staff role, I think, is starting to get a lot more buzz around it because you are kind of a master, master of everything. You have your hands in a lot of different pieces of the business. You're oftentimes an advisor of sorts to those people. So tell us a little bit more about that, even you know, before applying to to work at Better.
1: Yeah. It's such a critical role that I think is a secret. It's like a hidden gem of a role. That's exactly right. You absolutely become such an integral part of the business and see, seeing it from all sorts of sides. You end up being just the right hand, right? The right hand go-to for the founder, the owner, you know, the, the CEO, of the company. It was really cool. I got to see a lot of different sides of the business. That being said, it is a lot of work. A lot of work goes into it. And this isn't work that's like, what we might see on movies, like, oh, go get my coffee. Like this is like strategizing, you're advising, you're consulting. You know, a lot of times if a CEO wants to try something and experiment in a certain area, you're the one to go and like do the research and like come back with a proposal. It's a great role to start out in if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily know what industry you want to go in, but you know that you want to maybe own your own company in the future, be a, a senior leader at a existing company. This is totally a route that a lot of people should take.
0: I mean, you hit the nail on the head that it's a great place to start and see what parts of the business you really like. So you apply to work at Better. You think you're going to go and become Vishal's EA. How do you wind up on the sales side?
1: Yeah, totally. So I applied at the time and, you know, Vishal was looking for someone to help him with growing his businesses. We hit it off really well. But at that time, Vishal had a lot of you know little children. He had you know, a little baby on the way and all this stuff. And so part of this role was going to be like executive assistant, but then also personal assistants. It wasn't a good fit. We both mutually came to that conclusion that like, I like you, but maybe not for this role. Let me think of what else I can do. And then it just dawned on him like, hey, why don't you just join one of my new like new ventures? Fetter is about five years old and I've been at the company for about five years. So this was like right at the very beginning. There's 30 people at the company. I was kind of hired as like a generalist, didn't really have a real title, just was going to be somebody to help do things. Uh, I ended up getting put on the sales route. From there, I did the role of a traditional loan consultant or you know, loan officer and really helped to advise the whole team on how to redesign and you know, re-engineer the role. So basically, I would go into meetings and say, hey, this, this process sucks why do we do this? You know, this is confusing. This took forever. And then from there, that's when we started to nitpick everything about the traditional role and redesign it.
0: I think it's worth touching on for those listening, what better does this is such an incredible company because it is changing a really old school industry. I mean, the fact that you were there when the team was sub 50 and you guys are now thousands of people. Tell us a little bit just about the company too. So, so folks have some context.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, better.com is going to be completely just re-engineering the whole home experience. So starting with getting a, a real estate agent, which is what I'm doing now and I will talk about a little bit later. We're building a real estate agency. You know, we have the mortgage company. And so really redesigning the way that the industry works, both from the consumer end, but then also from the employee end, like the people that actually work at the company. You know, traditionally, loan officers were commission-based. We did away with that model. We gave people salaries. We gave people certainty. We told everyone, hey, don't focus on the dollar amount. Focus on the experience. Focus on the person. Make the best recommendation. And we made it so much more fair. It's shown in in our results of how much more fair we've been able to to be for people. And what we want to do at the end of the day is we want to make it super accessible for everybody. And we want to make it really quick.
0: So you get there. You end up on on the sales route. The team has obviously seen exceptional growth in the time you've been there. What are some of your favorite leadership lessons from the last few years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at every stage of my leadership journey, I learned something new. Like right at the very beginning when I was just, you know, getting my team, all of the hard lessons that a new manager goes into, which is like learning about how to navigate cross-functionally, talking to different departments, understanding how different departments think and operate you know you going in there as a representation of of your team you know you're going to have to adapt to your approach not everyone's going to get it from the get go you're going to have to really reason and come with a solid proposal it's really just about you know the, the politics of playing fair for everybody and understanding that everyone's trying to do a lot with a little bit of resources and how everything's a give and take everything's a compromise and in the very beginning you might get frustrated hey this makes so much sense for my team why can't we do this so that was like the first first thing I learned was definitely just navigating through you know, office politics, but also just the resourcing and prioritization and how things you know, really work. You really have to go to bat and pitch what you want for your team. And even if it makes perfect sense, what you want might not be able to you know, be executed. So have a plan B and have a plan C. I love that.
0: I want to kind of stay on this topic because we've talked before a lot about how You've been really good at raising your hand and and taking on kind of the nitty gritty problems within companies and how that has has helped in positioning you for promotions or being the person that steps into new roles when these things come up. Tell us more about that sort of mindset or yeah, how how you would encourage others to do that.
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to being a doer. You know, like I just said, there's going to be so many things you want to do that you need assistance for. But other teams can't necessarily like and let's just use the engineering team as an example, because that's a common one at a lot of tech companies or any tech company, you know, they can't do it all. Um, and so you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out how you can do it yourself. You don't necessarily need to get uh, other teams involved. You, can, you don't necessarily need to get all the clearances You know, in place if it's something that you can actually just do on your own that you know is going to benefit the team. So I did a lot of that ripped apart a lot of the the processes, like redesign things. And we did a lot of, let's tear up the script. Let's try this approach. We did a lot of experimenting and that was, that was fun. That was one of the most fun times for me is like just going in and uh, creating your own campaigns and testing them out before you actually say, this is amazing and everybody should be doing this, right? Feel empowered to do what you need to do for your team.
0: In, in your various roles, it better. You're from New York and they task you with moving out to LA and opening up the whole West Coast. And oh, whoops, there's also a global pandemic. Like, Tell us about that year.
1: Yeah, so this was last year and it actually was for my refinance team. So refinance team was growing really big. I mean, it was an incredible boom. The refinance boom happened for you know, last year and the year before that. And so we needed to expand the team pretty rapidly. We already actually had an office Base, you know, in Southern California, we had one in Northern California where I had a, had my team there in San Francisco. So I ended up going out to Southern California with the intention of starting the refinanced team down there. I, I literally landed, I think, a week before the full shutdown of the country, and so I had to do all this onboarding, training, hiring, designing of that team and that operation from home or in my Airbnb. I ended up just staying you know, in Southern California for that time. So I was working out of my Airbnb and had to do a lot of stuff on Zoom. So that was definitely an adjustment.
0: What were some of the things that you feel like you learned about yourself, both personally, but also as as a leader during that time?
1: Looking back, it's pretty incredible what we've all been able to do. You know, as a team, it was me and I had, I believe at that time, I had like eight managers or so under me. We really understood the gravity of the problem that we had. We're like, okay, we have to take our, 125 person team or so we're going to have to scale it up to you know almost 200 people through this pandemic all from home we're about to learn and challenge ourselves in an insane way right now so let's first acknowledge that this is going to be really different we have to approach this completely different everything that we did and everything that we knew worked before in the office we were going to have to redesign right now we took everything off the table we, we thought about every single little process. It was crazy too, because the team was so over capacity. So this was again, during a time of a boom. So we had like a record number of, of refinance applications, record number of everything at the same time of all trying to transition and go remote. Uh, and then also just deal with the culture, the normal emotional you know, labor and things that came from the pandemic. One thing I did learn is that you really need a good team with you. And so it was a very collaborative process. All of the things that I worked hard to build when I was in the office, which is like team culture, trust, collaboration, it was really tested.
0: And I think on that topic, in our our write-up, we had you as our heart and hustle champion. I want to kind of zoom in on the heart piece because you talk a lot about psychological safety and your team feeling heard and understood and listened to. I think that can be tricky for a lot of sales managers because it is such a metrics-driven role so many times. If you've got, you're juggling a lot of different people, how do you think about making sure that everyone's feeling cared for and understood and they're getting what they need? So I'd love to, to just hear more about your thoughts on all of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, heart, I think, is the absolute most important thing with building a team, period. You can't do anything if you don't have... Buy-in from your team. And that's really what heart represents for me. It's like, how much do people want to be here? How much is their heart invested in this? And is it true? Is this true for them? And I think that's the most important thing. And, and very luckily, because it's always been such an emphasis for me, going into the pandemic, I already had a very strong team. There was a very strong culture. We loved each other. We loved what we did. We were, you know, frustrated together. We were excited together. Like this is a mission. Like we are doing these families such an incredible service right now even more so than like what we might have thought before this is real life we st- stood up to the challenge you know but heart is everything heart is really just singing to the mission and so you're right so how do we make metrics romantic the answer is you really don't you make the results romantic here's like how we end up getting to our result but the result is what we want you know focus on what we're actually doing align yourself with it
0: I think make the results romantic should be on like coffee mugs and t-shirts and trademark that immediately. I love that. Done. The idea of being passionate about your work can sometimes be glossed over because there's a lot of talk about work-life balance. A a lot of people are thinking about the importance of being able to shut your laptop and like leave work at work or leave work when you're finished with work. That can be really tough when you're part of a a company that's growing really quickly. Um, and so having that love and desire and passion for the end result and what your company or what your work is ultimately doing, I think makes such a difference in being able to see the forest for the trees, because it can be so easy to, to get so focused on the X's and O's of just executing.
1: Absolutely agree. And then on that same note of like hustle, yeah, I have some thoughts on hustle too. The culture right now is very much so like focused around the balance and like turning work off. Which, of course, something that is important because at the end of the day, my role as a director, no matter where I am, is to make sure my team is happy, healthy, and productive. That's it. You know, happy, healthy, productive. So balance is key, right? Health is key. That being said, though, I'm the kind of person that doesn't want to encourage somebody uh, against their own natural rhythm, right? And so what I do is I help, you know, design work months with people based on what they have learned is healthy for them. But I absolutely, I think it is important for leaders to push people to work hard. Just don't push people against what's healthy for their body. The basic things are the ones that are the most forgotten. And I always say this, it's the little things that'll make the biggest impact always. Like for example, a simple mindset shift. That could be what changes your team around. Like I'll give you a story about that too. In 2018, when I was leading the refinance team, that was a year that was not a refi boom. That was a year of really high rates. That was a hard year where it was hard to sell. And in the very beginning, like most people probably do, there's a little bit of like freak out and you're like, okay, gotta get it together. Let's keep trying, let's work harder. You know, it's all about like, go, go, go. You're almost trying too hard. You can try too hard and actually break the system. One day I woke up and I was like, I'm gonna change the entire narrative of how I approach this went into my huddle with the team, and I started out by saying how amazing they were doing. The fact that we are doing this with this environment is incredible. Putting that energy back into my team, allowing them to take a step back and still be proud of what they're doing, because genuinely what they were doing was incredible because we did have a lot against us. 2018, we had uh, you know really high rates that were like seven-year highs, 13-year highs and i kept reminding them that everything that we're doing is really good just by empowering the team and and making them feel good about their work it actually turned the ship the entire energy the dynamic of our team switched and people came in they hit harder they stayed a little bit later they were really happy which is the most important it actually ended up showing in our results and That led to a really beautiful 2019 when rates did switch. We were so ready for it. It wasn't a challenge. We were happy. We were grateful.
0: Mindset goes such a long way. It's arguably one of the most important things that a leader can do is create the mindset that the rest of the team then feels. That positivity and that level of care and thoughtfulness that you bring to your team might be different than what some people think needs to happen to run a successful sales org. So kind of on that note, if you were to debunk one myth about sales or a career in sales, what would it be?
1: The first one that comes to mind is that managers are like just there for their team and that's it. I see it totally different. I think you have to be so invested and so in there with your team you actually shouldn't be telling them things to do. You should be empowering them to align to where you think is the best direction or they should just be coming to you with what they think is the best direction and you align with them. I think it's the total opposite. Growing up, I played a lot of sports and I've I've always had this kind of coach, little coach in me. And so I think that part came a little bit more natural and I understood the importance of like that buy-in, but also that like you have to be in there, invested and wanting to really get inside your team and like understand each person individually, I think that's a big misconception is that leaders are just at the top and really kind of dictate commands and direction and pass some messages down below. and And that's really it. That's great.
0: Something we talk about a lot is our managers are doing a great job when they've taught the people on their team how to think. And they've taught the people on their team how to be problem solvers. So when they come to their manager with a question or a concern, they've tried to make it the first twenty percent on their own. It's not just taking a monkey off of their back and putting it on their manager's back.
1: Absolutely. I think now we've we've moved away from thinking that like you know work is work and life is personal. I think we're now at that point where we know that work is really personal. Now that you know that information, what do you do with it? I personally like to really understand my people. I like to understand what their goals are outside of work. I like to bring it a part of what I do. A small example that I like to do with my team is Toastmasters, like a little bit of a Toastmasters. I'm I'm helping people with their public speaking skills because public speaking is something that you need to be coached on it. You know, helping them learn how to create a really nice slide deck, you know, how to present it, how to formulate thoughts. I like to do sessions where I teach them how to coach, how to actually coach. And I give them the questions that they would ask somebody if they were to ever coach somebody else, teaching them and like empowering them to learn soft skills that are maybe indirectly related to the job. Right. You need to be fully, you need to know that you can totally bring yourself to work in order to work your best. It actually can't be separate. I want you to bring yourself to work. I want to know what you're actually like. So.
0: This might be a little contradictory to what you are just saying, but I'll ask it anyway. Who are you outside of work? When you're not managing your team, when you're not helping grow better, when you're not elbows deep in leadership yeah. and coaching, where would we find you?
1: Honestly, you're not even going to be surprised because I'm like, I'm pretty aligned. And I like to, again, I like to bring myself to work and I like my team to know me and I don't hide who I am. And that's the last thing I want my team to do is hide who they are. In many places, and I've had to experience this on my own, I've always felt shy about like, oh, well, I do do X, Y, Z outside of work, but I don't want my job to know because maybe they'll feel intimidated that I'm doing other things outside of what they want me to do. It's totally crazy. It's a crazy, crazy thing that you know companies create that culture and that fear in people that they can't be their full selves or, or tell you know the team what else they like to do and what other ventures they want to be on. So outside of work I mean, my team also knows this i'm really big into film i direct films i'm a branding person visuals person i like to create experiences and i also do some private coaching so i have some people um you know around the world and talk to them and help them with emotional regulation leadership consulting but also spirituality so spirituality is something that's very big for me mindfulness and meditation so honestly i'd be doing all sorts of those things or or uh, you know friday nights you'll find me 2020 doing some karaoke somewhere. A lot of my friends are all creatives. I consider myself to be a creative, which is funny because I think that, oh, you work in an office, how creative can you be? You can be so creative. Sales is extremely creative. Customer experience is super creative. Like this is a creative field, even if you're doing it from like a business standpoint, like you're designing an experience, which is so creative. Telling a story for me, I think, is a really rewarding thing.
0: Very cool. I mean, that ties in really beautifully with sales. Well, Sadi, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. If there are folks who are interested in learning more about Better or your team or would like to get in touch with you, where should
1: they go? Well, you can always go on LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. I also have a website, sadi-roy.com. I humbly live by the growth mindset. I think that I always have to be challenging and evolving myself if I expect anyone else to evolve with me or for me. So yeah, I'd love to connect and and hear about the stories and and things that you've learned or if anything resonated with you that I've spoken about.
0: Well, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This was Sales Loft and WISE's Future Female CROs. Check back next week for another episode featuring an outstanding female CRO of tomorrow. And until next time, this was Sydney Sloan from Sales Loft
1: and Alex Adamson
0: from Women in Sales Everywhere.